everyone today new episode on a monday of course today i'm joined with christina chapel who's the director of 11 tribes ventures and we're going to talk about burnout people related issues that stifle startups the importance of distinctiveness and simply how to be human and grappling the human experience while building so christina thanks for being on the show Jason, it is such a joy to be here today. So let's start with burnout, right? So as a venture capitalist, you may have seen founders facing burnout. Can you share your perspective on how common it is and what are some common causes? I think in startups and in building, burnout is seen as an inevitable consequence of trying to bring something from nothing. Granted, I don't believe that burnout has to be the status quo, nor is it or should it be as valorized as it is today. I think people wear badges of busyness and badges of burnout as, you know, the stars on their vest. And yet I don't think that this is something um, praiseworthy. Rather, I think that burnout is one of the greatest startup killers. Um, You know, I was just looking into a survey from CB Insights done in 2019, where they asked 2000 founders who had wound down their company and had failed the question of why. And 63% of those founders attributed failure to a people related issue, whether that was burnout, whether that was substance abuse, whether that was bad investor relationships, bad um, co-founder relationships. Like it was the people that caused that startup to never fully get off the ground and make it to the finish line. So burnout, I think when you are putting in your energy to like see the world come anew in a way that you are hoping for, like, of course you're going to invest so much of your time of your energy like you're gonna you know count the cost um of building that thing but what i've seen is the best entrepreneurs create margin and protect that margin um so that they're able to show up each morning and run afresh again without just, you know, driving themselves into the ground or cratering their personal life as they're building a great company. And when you talk about margin, what exactly do you mean by that? Hmm. I think about margin as if I was going out to farm a field and I'm a farmer. So the margin, your field is 100%. Like, let's say the crops that you plant take up 90% of that square mile. Well, what is that 10% on, on the outside? Like that is my margin that I build in. And I think about, um, you know, what are the things that make me distinct? Jeff Bezos has a quote of like, what's it going to take to maintain your distinctiveness? You cannot compromise on that if you want to show up as fully Christina, as fully Jason each day and do the difficult tasks that you've set out to do. So there's this concept um, that I read about in the Old Testament of the Bible called gleaning. And 
for people who were harvesting a crop, they wouldn't go out and harvest all 100% of that crop. They would allow some of it, especially on the outside, to be picked by those less fortunate or those who couldn't acquire land themselves. And those people would come behind the harvesters and glean from that field. So I also think about my margin as, you know, what sort of bandwidth am I going to create in my life to give back and like empty myself for others in a way that sort of counterintuitively or um, opposite, like gives me so much energy back and gives me the endurance to continue running in the more professional or like the tasks that I've signed up to do at work. So what kind of support do you provide to founders to help them avoid burnout? Hmm. So at 11 Tribes, we have three main components to our thesis, three main focuses. We have a geographic focus. We're targeting investments in tier two geographies, you know, non-traditional venture hubs. We have a stage focus. We're investing seed stage, typically post-revenue or early series A. And then we have a founder focus. And this is what really drew me to our fund over others. And we have two main parts of the ways that we support our founders. So every check that we write, we invest 2% on top, non-dilutive, directly to our founding team for them to invest in what we call entrepreneurial resilience. So resilience looks different for each founder that we work with, but the four main lanes that we've identified and then vetted resources within for those founders to spend their five or $6,000 on is either therapy. We have executive coaching for startups. You know, we've seen a demand for community platforms like Humans Anonymous and then organizational health resources like Table Group or Wild Leaders. And so the 2% is one way that we support our founders and encourage them to build without burning out. And then we also have our venture partner platform. And these are people who have started and exited businesses in the industries of which we invest. And we've set up a unique compensation structure for them that actually takes money out of our own pockets as the investors and the management team and aligns it more around our founders. So um, we're trying to think about how can we innovate on how funds and resources have traditionally been structured in venture capital in a way that is going to equip our founders to build. And you know, the language that we've been using recently, Jason, is that when anybody starts a business, there are two outcomes. And traditional venture only solves for one of them. There is the business outcome, and then there's the founder outcome. Mm. And those two outcomes are not necessarily correlated. So you right. can have an incredible business outcome, you can reach billion dollar unicorn status, and yet you can have a terrible founder outcome where that founder you know, is no longer married or they don't have a relationship with their children anymore or you know they've been completely isolated and lonely for the last five years as they've been building and you know they've had that exit they've achieved the business outcome and yet have been never been so low in their life and so how we think about investing and equipping and coming alongside our founders at 11 tribes is how can we maximize the founder outcome 
in as many scenarios as possible, believing that if we are investing in the people, if we're investing in our founders and encouraging them that, you know, their identity isn't just the success or failure of their business. Like there's so much more to them <laughs> um, as people, as humans, um, that they add so much to the world outside of just even what they're creating, even though what they're creating is great. Um, yes. Then we're going to see, you know, not only more durable, sustainable, profitable portfolios for LPs, but we're going to see people who are alive, like coming alive in their work um, and not just feeling like they are, you know, sucking air, just just breathing and existing. Um, you know, our days here are short, Jason, and we're not exactly. promised really any of them. So, exactly. uh, you know, like it's it's a privilege to build. And like, I think it's such a loss if we allow the thing that we're building to become the only thing about us or the only thing in our lives. Um, I think that puts actually too much strain on what is being built and there's a higher risk of it failing. That's a pretty powerful approach, right? Because you're looking way beyond just the monetary incentive or looking mm -hmm. for the next big thing and just focused on return. And I think, I think there's a stigmatization or if I'm saying the word correctly, a stigma when it comes to startups or founders, where it's like, you got to do the work, you got to hustle, you got to work hard, you got to put in all these hours, and then you'll relax in the future. But a lot of times we fail as founders, we fail to realize that the journey may seem short in our minds. Mm. But in reality, we're not running that sprint, we're running a marathon. And it's going to take time. Some people, maybe they'll find that success in two years, others in 10. But it doesn't mean that just because two years seems something that we're capable to handle, that mentally will make it there, right? So what is 11 Tribes doing exactly to influence other investors and um, other colleagues in different firms to pay attention more about founders health and their well-being you know jason i want to touch on something that you just said with the journey mentality like so many of us think about the finish line we think right. about the destination and it's like we're never satisfied or content with today because we're moving towards something and i think having that growth mentality is vital I mean, it's, you know, what drives me and excites me to wake up and do the work that I've set out to do each day, but we can't discount the moment that we're in. I had a mentor tell me <laughs> he's, he's a founder. He has raised through his series A and he said, you know, Christina, what do you call the time between starting your company and exiting your company? What do you do in that time? And I was like, uh, you scale the business, you grow the business. Right. And he said, actually, no, no, no. That's not what I call the time. I call that time life. Life happens mm -hmm. in that time. Kids grow up in that time. Your friends get married. You maybe meet someone who's going to change your life. Like life happens in those years between starting and exiting. And so you can't just discount that. And, you know, 
something that I think about a lot is just the process of becoming. You know, everything that I am doing is forming me into someone. Like nothing mm. that I'm doing yeah. is just out into the void, inconsequential, doesn't matter. Granted, mm. I don't think, I don't keep a tally of everything that I've ever done in my life and say, okay, I'm just the sum of these things. I don't believe that. But I do think that to bring a level of thoughtfulness, you know, an intensity, um, a delight to the things that I've laid out to do that day and think about, okay, who is this making me into? Um, how am I spending my money? What does that say about what I value? Like all of those questions are so key. And so also one thing that you touched on was like, I think alignment and the importance of is the work that you're doing something that you want to escape from eventually? Or is this current like rhythm and way of life something that you are excited to get out of it someday? Like I would reprioritize, you know, if you are, I would argue that if you're in a role that is aligned with, you know, the unique ways you've been wired or the specific needs that you see in, in the world that you want to address and lift and heal and redeem, then you're going to be able to wake up and bring a consistent energy to that work. Yeah. And it's going to be yes. great. Um, but yeah. if you are doing something that maybe is less intrinsically motivating, or you are, you know, being driven by things that are not going to last and endure, or things that, you know, if you had a minute on your deathbed and you knew that the end was near, that you would look back on and be like, oh, I'm so glad I spent my time doing that. Um, then I think like there's an opportunity to sort of sit with, okay, where am I at and where do I go from here? So your question about how do you get other investors to think similarly to 11 tribes in focusing specifically on the people, given that it's not just, oh, it's the nice thing to do. It's a great business decision to focus more on the people. You know, one thing that we do is we try to, you know, take a stance and have a position, especially in difficult conversations or, you know, when it seems like the world falls out from under you, when banks fail or when the macro becomes more and more challenging, it's like, will you stand by what you believe and contribute your perspective to the conversation? We're trying to do that more and more. Uh, my managing partner, Mark, is releasing more blog posts and thought leadership on, you know, the things that he's learned in the last two years since 11 Tribes founding. Uh, we are starting a podcast called The Resilient Founder. And my hope is that founders are able to share, you know, what was it like to be in the trench? How did you move from um, whatever low place you were at to where you are today? You know, like what did it cost you to build what you have built? <laughs> And would you do it again? <laughs> like, how would exactly. you advise, you know, like younger Jason, how would you advise younger Christina um, on the path that you're setting out to do? So those marketing materials are one way, but our hope is that this is where 
the industry of venture is trending. You know, like venture has been around for what, four decades now? And yet there hasn't been much innovation in the industry itself or on the business models of venture. Like our hope is that by committing 2% of capital out of the fund <laughs> that goes into a separate bank account for those founders to tap, that perhaps more funds will see the value in that, see that it's, it is a competitive advantage for us in how we access the best cap tables how we get to be on the team of the greatest founders. Uh, but, you know, we are seeing just still not a lot of adoption of this way of thinking, which is surprising to me being that, you know, yeah. rounds are more competitive these days. Yeah. Granted, capital is harder to come by, but those be the best founders think about their cap table like, UNC, my alma mater, thinks about setting up their starting line for the basketball team. You know, like our coach, Coach Davis, is thinking about, okay, of all of my great players on the bench, who am I going to bring in for this game to meet these needs? The mm. best founders have demand for their round, and they're thinking about, okay, who do I want on my cap table with me along this journey? Like, so that we are going to be able to reach those next, next set of milestones, you know, raise that next round or become profitable, get to the exit. Who do we want on our team? And what's been amazing to see is even though we take up a relatively small portion of the rounds that we're participating in, most of the time, I'd say, when founders go on to raise follow-on rounds, and they think about who do we want to continue to give a seat at the table, we're oftentimes <laughs> invited back. Um, and it's, it's amazing. Like we care about the business metrics. We care about um, adding operational value a lot, but we also care about your spouse's name or we care if you moved in the last year. And I think having those more authentic human relationships in investing and in our monthly catch-up calls with our founders also enables us to have more transparent and honest conversations with them. You know, like we're able to, I feel like get a glimpse into, okay, how's the business actually doing? Founders are more willing to, to show us the, the good, bad, and the ugly. And then we are able to think about, okay, what sort of resources can we bring around our founders in this time in order to get them to the next the next place. And like that, that too is resilience. I love our model. As you can see, I'm getting pretty fired up and, you know, there's nothing proprietary about the 2% commitment. Right. Even, exactly. Like, you know, we haven't reached a place of arrival by any means. I think what we're doing is compelling. Uh, we've seen it. I've seen the relationships we're able to have with our portfolio. I've seen on pitches, founders, just completely the business veil melting away and it's them as a person in response to our 2% commitment. But our hope is that, um, you know, if this is a status quo, we're leveling up um, and everybody in the industry is going to have to level up in a way that's going to be more human and more supportive to our founders. Everything you said falls under alignment, right? Mm -hmm. And, 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 and I want to I want to highlight the conversation that we had yesterday, right, especially when you were trying to figure yourself out exactly um, 
where in finance you wanted to be and how you came up to 11 tribes. I think that's really important for you um, to share that with us because alignment highlights what is important to us and then gives us a sense of purpose to keep going forward, right? Also with the help of um, with mental health being highlighted, but with that sense of purpose, it will vitalize and give us that energy to keep moving forward. So can you tell us a little bit about how you came about finding 11 tribes and why 11 tribes um, was the best decision to make in terms of starting your career in venture capital? Absolutely, Jason. Yeah, I'm happy to share my story. And I feel like I have to go back, like go way back to days in high school and, and growing Please up. Please take us. Yes. You know, I tasted the fragility of life early on. I saw death up close. I saw strained relationships. I saw, um, you know, families being broken by alcoholism. And in high school, I went to a huge public high school north of Atlanta. It's called Lambert. And we had 3,300 students at our school. And during my four years there, we had so many mental health crises, <laughs> whether that was students um, taking their own life or, you know, like just stress and strain and depression and anxiety being literally written on the walls. Um, it was in your face and you couldn't not confront it. Um, we had, you know, so much pain and so much hurt in our county. And it really all stemmed from this lack of human connection. And I think being motivated by things that aren't going to actually fulfill you, <laughs> like external motivation um, and wanting to perform and puff up and really like a, a lack of identity. So during my time in high school, I started a conversations movement that was all student-led, all grassroots called Whisper. And I worked with administration. I worked with my teachers. I asked every, every teacher I could find, you know, who's three students in your classes uh, who you would describe as kind and like maybe a little outgoing. And with that, we gathered a critical mass of students and encouraged them to go out into their classrooms and really change the culture by changing the conversation and just have, you know, more meaningful interactions with each other you know, conversations that lasted longer than just five words of how are you and I'm good, but like, how do you right. meaningfully like connect and meet relational needs of those around you? Um, I'm so grateful to say that Whisper has, you know, lasted long beyond my, the days that I was in high school. Um, you know, we just celebrated a five-year anniversary of it and it's in 15 schools across Atlanta with completely different, <laughs> yes, completely what? different demographics of students, completely different cultures. I mean, 15 schools, 20,000 students are a part of it. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see how it scales further, but I bring up my days creating Whisper um, because it really does go back to, okay, like where's the human connection piece? Like, you know, and really like, where's this sense of urgency? and sense of intention required in work, you know, like if I'm given another morning, then I want to wake up and meet that day with as much joy, as much like 
excellence as possible and like give it all I have. So I went to Carolina. I studied entrepreneurship and city planning. I was a part of a scholarship program there that punted me into so many different stretch environments. And, you know, I got a taste of education and teaching, got a taste of consulting. I had a taste into the world of finance at a private equity firm one summer. And you know, when I, yes, when I thought about, okay, where do I want to spend my time? What do I want to say yes to? If I have limited time, limited resources on this earth, I wanted to find a role that I felt really compelled by and that I also felt a little scared by <laughs> of like, am I actually equipped to do this? I don't know. Mm. <laughs> and yep. When I met Mark Phillips of 11 Tribes and heard about the why and the ethos behind why 11 Tribes existed, I, I knew that, okay, this is a place where I can show up as fully Christina, values and work integrated. It would be a place that, you know, there was an expectation to wake up and build. <laughs> There's no hiding. <laughs> I have so much autonomy and responsibility in my role, which I am incredibly grateful for. And I also am getting to really be a hub of relationships and resources that hopefully can help ideas and, you know, goals come to fruition that are going to land in the communities they're being built for and then impact a lot of people. Um, so I, I couldn't be more grateful to be where I am today. Um, I feel like I'm an investor with a builder's mentality. And it does really go back to that love of entrepreneurship and like seeing the fragility of life early that, you know, makes me excited to wake up and give it, give it my all each morning. <laughs> Lovely. I love it. And really what you did with the whisperer really connects with the next question I want to um, ask you. And that's that many founders feel isolated and lonely building their companies, right? How important is it to have a supportive community and how do you encourage founders to build one? Hmm. Jason, this is a timely question because, you know, I moved to Chicago last fall, fall of 2022 to join 11 tribes. And I really didn't have any friends or family here. <laughs> I had spent 10 hours in the city before you know, I took a mere selfie at the bean. I ate a slice of pizza and I said, okay, I'm done with Chicago. That's Chicago. I, I had no idea, you know, the beauty that this city holds, but moving here, I said yes to work. And oftentimes, and I think founders, some founders might feel this way. Like it's easier for me to choose work over people at times or to keep people at an arm's length. Like I know how to win at work a lot of the time but people is so much harder like it's so much messier sometimes uh and so as i think about how do you build a community i try to live by this phrase of you lose your life to find it <laughs> and this idea of dying to self and like prioritizing others in love over self. Um, and I think that that gives me this, I like to call it like the gift of sight 
as I'm operating throughout my day to be on the lookout for other people and like see small, seemingly insignificant moments and seizing those, being relationally oriented there, acknowledging another human, human acknowledging another human. And um, I feel close to, <laughs> to people that way. You know, I spend a lot of my day anonymous, Jason, and yet, because I'm making eye contact with the people that I pass by in Chicago, or, yes. you know, I know my go-to barista's name and about his story. Like I have a sense of community there, but how do you really like build a close group of people who's going to support you when you're down people who you can call when the going gets tough, when it's dark and late and you, you feel alone. Like I think, in order to have those relationships, you have to prioritize others greater than yourself in, in love. Um, I also think about this idea of having a unique sphere of influence. So we talked a bit about distinctiveness. You know, everybody is wired uniquely. Some people love to run. <laughs> Other people love to participate in hackathons and, you know, like who can you surround yourself with? Like, you know, what's the thing that you can do on your off days that is going to refill your cup, make you come alive? Who else also feels similar? And then how can you grow close to each other, learn from each other? Um, and then I think like real community is built when you sacrifice for others but you know with founders like a lot of times you don't have margin like the what you have signed up to do requires so much and then there's a level of shame too when you routinely have texts unread texts on your phone that you're like oh i'm gonna get to and that just pile up or you know like you see your friend's life being lived and you're not there you're not present and you can't be. And you're like, oh, I'm I'm building for the sake of something greater than myself. And I think that's good. But finding a few people who are in your corner on your life team, even if that's a, a mentor or advisor, I think can be huge. And then thinking about like, what margin are you building and protecting? Who are the people who also re recharge that way? Is it possible to build relationships with them? That's sort of how I've been thinking about community. And I think you answered this a little bit, but maybe you might want to elaborate on it more. But building a startup, as you said, can be an all-consuming experience, right? And founders often lose sight of their humanity while chasing success. What are some ways in which founders can be more mindful and compassionate while building their companies? Mm. I used to say I was going into my lair if I was going to go to my desk with my monitor and my keyboard and my inbox and go to town. And I would emerge from said lair slash cave <laughs> momentarily every once in a while to, you know, like get a breath of fresh air to go for a run, to go grab a coffee at a local shop. And 
I think mentoring and coaching is a great way for founders to move the ball forward on whatever they're building and yet do so in a fashion that is bringing others with them and, and really lifting others up. So for me, it is so energizing to speak with students or to speak with people who are, you know, one step junior than myself, who are curious about venture or who are curious about building. And for me to be able to give up some of my time to hear their story, see them and call out like whatever good I also see in their story or like uniqueness, distinctiveness, and then to share wisdom and insight and also get practice communicating because so much of the job of a founder, the job of an investor is how can you communicate? Are right. you able to share the story um, in a way that's going to most resonate with whoever the party, the opposing party is? Um, I think that that's a way for founders to like think, remind themselves how to be human <laughs> and not just a work robot. That's well said for you. Um, for me, it was going monk mode in terms of like when oh. I'm in my office, I'm going monk mode. I'm going into the underground dungeon. There is some other terminology I was using, but yeah, that was the same as me. I was like, you know, please let me be. I'm going to be a monk right now. I'm just going to hyper focus <laughs> and yeah, but it turned out it worked out for me. So yeah, I know it worked out for you as well. Now, another special thing about 11 tribes, right? Uh, redemptive purpose, right? Is one of the key values 11 tribes ventures focuses on. Can you share some examples of how investing in redemptive purposes can have a positive impact on society and culture? Yes, I love thinking about the word redeem um, and the idea of something being redemptive. It's like, you know, it was one way and then something happened for it to become broken, but that's not the end of the story. Yes. It can become good and bright and whole again. Investors are optimists, especially venture investors. Like there is a demand for optimism. And I love spending time thinking about, okay, what are the like the redemptive waves that are happening in society and then identifying you know like what is broken what needs healing like what is so obviously crying out for some restoration for some rescue and then how can we get creative with meeting those needs so i like thinking you know five years out let's say okay what's a trend that we've seen that's become increasingly not great like to see climate disaster continue and the severity of tornadoes hitting all across the country is something that is like it's becoming more and more difficult to sweep aside and not confront you know seeing segregation in our city and people who just bubble up into homogenous groups more and more and a lack of community, a lack of conversation, a lack of understanding, like seeing the strain of that, like becoming more and more difficult to just sweep aside. 
the loneliness epidemic that the Surgeon General just declared that we are in as a country is becoming more and more diff difficult to not pay attention to. So as I see, you know, so much investment flooding into the areas of artificial intelligence and this paradigm shift, I am thinking about, okay, so if all of us workers are going to have a little super assistant that's going to help us be more productive, help us be more efficient and help us engage more creatively with the work that we're doing, then where is that untapped, unlocked potential and energy going? Like, are we just going to retreat back onto our devices and scroll? <laughs> is, does having an AI assistant mean we can scroll for three more hours and be shallowly stimulated? Or who are the people building tools or building ways that remind people of how to be human. <laughs> I think that as this wave of AI investing continues, that there will be a new wave of human tech investing. And for example, 11 Tribes just made an investment in a sports tech company called Season Share. And they are trying to be the class pass for live events. They are partnered with Ticketmaster and have relationships with so many sports teams and leagues. And what they're doing is making it more seamless, more attractive, easier for people to engage locally in the city that they're a part of with other people. You know, like I have to be reminded, okay, <laughs> I need to not just be a work robot today. I need to be human. And I've been spending a lot of time asking myself, okay, like, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to connect meaningfully, deeply with other people? And then who are the people building or how can I put dollars to work in ways that are going to hopefully like ride this redemptive wave um, and address some of these issues that like are becoming all consuming for different communities and populations. And your mission is to build businesses that are sustainable, durable, profitable, and create a value for investors. How do you balance these goals and what are some of the challenges you face while doing so? Yeah, our thesis, Jason, is if we have healthier founders, they're going to create healthier companies with healthier cultures and ultimately be able to make it to the finish line, whether that's three, five or eight years down the road. And that will result in healthier returns for our LPs. And so much of venture is injecting as much volatility into a business at its earliest stage to see what can really take off. And then, you know, tacking up the losses, just, mm -hmm. oh, this is our style of investing. Yeah. We are not like we are venture capital investors. We do operate by the power law. And yet I think it's possible to have a more durable, more profitable portfolio if we focus on the people. Because we know that 
especially at the stages of which we invest, the most valuable asset that business has is its founder. So we had, you know, when we were raising fund one, a couple hesitations from potential LPs of, oh, are, are you using capital from fund one to invest in that founder for the 2%? And we said, yes. And so they're like, oh, so that's investable capital. You're telling me that's not going to go to generating the next lead at that company or closing the next sale that we're going to be able to see in the bottom line with revenue. And we said, yeah, we think actually by, you know, it was very intentional of us to not be writing a $255,000 check all in one swoop, but to have that five or $6,000, that 2% commitment be in a separate bank account that the founder then expense us for. Because we know that founders eat last. And so Powerful. I think the tension point is okay, how can we, like, I believe the way that we are putting capital to work is transformative. I think it's going to be transformative for businesses. I think it's going to be transformative for LPs who are thinking about how can I put my capital to work in ways that's going to be aligned with my values and not just be concessionary returns. Like have this actually be, oh, wow, this is the reason why I am making a greater return is because we are putting it to work in this way. So Whenever you are coming to market <laughs> with a new way of thinking that is contrarian to what has been done, there will be friction and opposition and rightfully so. And we, we actually relish in it. <laughs> we love it. And um, being able to engage in these conversations and have this point of view and place from which we stand is so energizing for me. Great conversation, great conversation. So the 2% comes in once you um, already invest in a company or you add um, a new firm into your portfolio, right? But let's look back a little bit. Let's move a little bit um, backwards. And um, you invest in founders driven by purpose and help them cultivate an organizational culture, like you said, that reflects a set of core principles. Can you give us some examples of the principles you look for and how do you help founders build a culture around them? One of the principles that we look for is servant leadership. And to have founders who value their people <laughs> is hugely important. One of the things that, one of the greatest opportunities that we see for investing at this stage is we get to join the founders team early when there are few employees. And then as that business grows and we're able to come alongside them, we're there as they're thinking about, okay, now I have a 20 person company. What sort of culture and norms do we wanna establish here? Oh, I have a hundred person company. What are we gonna do now? And to be an investor that can hopefully, you know, like hold our founders to what they had set out to build, like, especially from a culture perspective and not compromise on that as the going gets tough or as things accelerate is 
energizing for us. And then you also provide immediate value to founders, right? And um, you talked about a couple of them, and I do want to highlight these. Um, uh, founders with, um, so you provide immediate value to founders with your venture partners and your talent network, right? Mm -hmm. um, can you elaborate on the network, how the network operates, and what kind of expertise and support founders can expect from it? Yes, yeah, so we lean on our venture partners heavily at 11 Tribes. If we had just had the 2% and not the business expertise, then that you know flywheel of founder support would be incomplete. Our venture partners are people who have successfully started and exited businesses in the industries that we invest. And we compensate these people with GP Carry. So they have not only incentive to see their deal do well, they have incentive to see the portfolio do well. And several of these former operators bring to the table introductions to channel partnerships, introductions to customers. They have different advisors and people in their networks for you know our founders to then go out and hire to grow their teams. And really they are the mentor, the coach, the potential board member who is with that founder on the late night call. So we, we really appreciate our venture partners and couldn't do it without them. And I, I do want to um, clarify um, this stance that you, you talk about investing 11 tribes, uh, venture capital invests in distinctive startups. So for a, a, a founder that might be currently trying to raise capital, right? What would you tell them in terms of what a distinctive startup looks like? I do like the word distinct and to bring back that quote from our guy, Jeff, uh, what will it take to maintain your distinctiveness? Like every founder is purpose-driven. They have set out with a current of purpose to then move to a place that they want to go. <laughs> that to me is being purpose-driven. Every person is distinct. Even though we try to conform as people, <laughs> like we are distinct. There's something about us. You know, oftentimes on founder calls, the first question that we ask is, there's a lot of things you can be doing that has a much lower risk profile that will probably give you a life of ease and comfort more than what you've chosen. Why is it that you have chosen this route? Like, tell us why you are sold out for this idea and why you. And that, like, that's really the question of, okay, like, how do we get to the heart of what matters? And are we able to understand what, what is motivating this person um, if it's aligned with all the other aspects of what they're good at, of what they care about, are those aligned? So, you know, three years in when you're halfway building um, or like halfway through building, like 
that you're going to stay the course and still be sold out to see this um, need be met or this idea come to fruition. What's interesting about that, and, and you said that, but it's pretty much like a filtering process, right? Because the alignment, it, it really, the thing is what people tend to struggle with is asking the right questions, right? Because asking that question shows if this person is competent to be an entrepreneur, one. And two, I think it does show where, what's, what's your end goal? What, what you're really trying to, is this a monetary benefit? Are you just trying to race to be that superstar CEO, wannabe Forbes 30 under 30? I mean, we all want to do that. And it's not to say that you can't do it, but it's not as easy. What media tends to do is glamorize success and make it look seamless, but it's really not. But then that nitty gritty and uh, um, going through the dirt and like really pushing forward and putting a uh, clock in day in and day out and not working nine to five, but working from nine to nine um, or nine to two a.m. That's really what it takes to be that quote unquote successful entrepreneur. So I think that's a good filtering process you guys have because. I mean, distinctiveness is that's one way to find out exactly what the end goal of that founder or why exactly they choose chose to solve the problem when there is a million other problems to solve. Right. And, and um, you know, as a part mm -hmm. of our diligence process, we actually administer personality assessments and strengths finder tests to our founders. And we recognize, okay there are things that are going to come naturally to this founder. And then there are tasks that are going to be more difficult. If our founder is going to be depleted energy wise from selling, 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 and you know, like they're naturally introverted, how we see that result of the personality assessment is okay. Do they have someone else on their team who's going to be able to okay. come with them and be be holistic in the support. And so as we evaluate, we're not trying to uh, set our founders up to <laughs> fail. Like we want our founders to be, yes, so equipped, whether that's team, whether that's resources like the 2%, to be able to go out and do what we feel like they were called and made to do. Um, and we're, we're so for that. And so like, you know, I think some founders will resist our thesis at times or say to us, you know, are you telling me to just kick back my feet and relax and let the company build itself and prioritize well-being and all this like soft strategy? And it's like, absolutely not. But we want you to be able to show up and run. And so like, what's it going to take for you to be able to do that and to get to the finish line and be a whole human, <laughs> um, you know, business outcome, founder outcome both aligned uh, and, and still be whole. Um, closing up this conversation, I was going to ask you a typical, in your opinion, what the venture capital trends are looking like in the next five to 10 years. I, I don't think after having this conversation, that's really important. My, my question to you is this, if what for the, for the VCs, the other firms, um, for the founders, um, or again, trending around mental health, 
right? Um, and investors prioritizing that for founders. Um, what what do you have to say for them? If if what message do you have to say um, to anyone um, in this ecosystem of venture capital and founder ecosystem about mental health? Like, what message would you um, want to close out with? And what's the trend you're looking for? Like I said, I want to see investment in human tech. I want to see the people who are building the things that are going to remind us of how to be human. <laughs> and I think as an investor, as a founder, as a worker, as a person, the most important thing you can do each day that you're going to look back on and count as valuable is if you were able to see the people around you and truly see them. I think I would love to see an increased level of thoughtfulness of being present and of going into networking events or pitches or initial calls or diligence calls with the ability to see the other person for who they are. Um, even, even as you're evaluating the business or, or, you know, doing whatever professional task you have that day. Everyone, that's Christina from 11 Tracks. Christina, it was lovely having you on the show. Um, thanks for the, all the insight that you have provided, hopefully. I mean, there's lessons I personally learned, um, but hopefully everyone that took the time out of their day to listen to our conversation also is leaving on a good note. Thank you so much for having me, Jason. You are incredible. I cannot wait to see where the 10% podcast goes and where you personally go. Yes, yes.